Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And before we get into today's Monday morning episode, where I am going to give you guys a deep dive into the Washington Commanders offense, my thought, quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends, the offensive line, impending free agents, and what my expectations are for a lot of this core athletes within this potentially high-octane offense moving in to 2023. We're going to dive into each positional group Pros, the cons, guys that stood out, guys that faltered, the rotation of just a long list of bodies on the front five, what they may look like moving into 2023. All of that we're going to dive deep into. But first, following last night's poetic justice, I had to address it. The San Francisco 49ers taking down the Dallas Cowboys in the divisional round. It was just beautiful. And I wanted to take just 20 seconds of your time and just be thankful for the Niners because here we are again with the Niners now traveling to Philly to face the Eagles in the NFC Championship game with Dallas hitting the golf course just like Washington has for 20, 25 plus years without getting the NFC Championship game. And every year, the industry, not me, the industry around me, Every year, Dallas is this, Dallas is that. Super Bowl contenders here. (laughs) Every year, they do it to themselves. So I just want to take 20 seconds to brighten up your morning. I'm sure you saw how that game ended. A sandlot play, if you want to call it that, from Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott snaps the ball back to Dak Prescott. He gets rocked. Dak Prescott completes it to Gavante Turpin over the middle field. He gets rocked. It was just beautiful, poetic justice to end the season. Because as fun as it is watching the Commanders win football games, and we saw it eight times this year, nothing is better to watch Dallas lose football games. So let's move into the episode. We're going to start with quarterbacks. And obviously that starts with Carson Wentz. And Taylor Heineke. Well, I want to get into Sam Howell a little bit, but with Taylor appearing in nine games, Carson in eight, Taylor Heineke completed 62% of his passes, 1,800 yards. Carson completed 62% of his passes as well, about 1,800 yards as well. Their numbers were pretty similar. Heineke had 12 touchdowns, Carson had 11. Heineke threw six picks, Wentz threw nine. Wentz was sacked 26 times, Heineke was sacked 19. So from a numbers perspective, they were extremely similar from what we saw. But you look at the actual performance and why you should not look at box scores to recap games or get thoughts on a game or an overall season, which is what we're doing now. Watch the tape. Go back and watch the game. Because watching Taylor Heineke execute under center 
and watching Carson Wentz outside of week one against the Jaguars and outside of week two against the Lions was not good. But I want to talk about Taylor just because I'm not sure he will be back next year because he deserves an opportunity elsewhere. He's a free agent. And if we, in a year where we saw the names of the likes of Trace McSorley, David Blau, Josh Dobbs, Mike White, Tyler Huntley, the names go on and on and on as far as who got starts in the NFL this year. You don't have to be that tier one quarterback to get starts in the league. You need guys like Taylor Heineke. And I expect him to get an opportunity elsewhere if he does not want to take a cheap deal to come back as a backup because as of right now, and everything that we're hearing out of Ashburn is that Sam Howell will be QB1 heading into the summer and into week one in 2023. But if this was the final season that we saw Taylor Heineke in the Burgundy and Gold, all you can do is tip your cap to the kid. Was he an elite playmaker? No. At times in 2021, or even again back in 2020 in that Tampa Bay game, he looked like an elite playmaker involving his legs. I wanted to see more of that this year. It was not there. Now that comes under the scrutiny of Scott Turner, who is now gone as far as what Washington's offense was and being able to progress each and every week, allowing your athletes to be athletes, not asking Heineke to be a robot in the pocket. I thought at times that's what he did this year. We knew the limitations that he had through the air with his arm strength. So a lot of that came back towards the back end of the season when we knew that that was going to be a great evaluation period for Taylor Heineke against better defenses. The Giants twice, Dallas, and San Francisco. Now, we didn't see Heineke against Dallas. Obviously, that was Sam Howell. But in those games against the Giants and the Niners, the limitations were just overwhelming, which obviously led to his benching against the Cowboys and giving Sam an opportunity, which I was happy to see Ron do. But for Carson Wentz, not going to be too long here. Obviously, we know the story with Carson. Towards the back end of the year, obviously, that injury with against the Chicago Bears and the finger coming back from IR, starting him against the Browns was not the right decision, bottom line. And he will not be in the Burgundy and Gold this year. He will be a free agent. Whether he goes somewhere else and gets an opportunity as a backup remains to be seen. But I think his play against the Browns, him coming back from injury, if he, if he was able to just maintain the course of this offense that Taylor had towards the middle of that season and showed us what he was in week one and week two when he had weeks and months of work in the spring and in the summer with this offense, would have been fine. And I probably would have had an opportunity to go somewhere else into 2023 and be a starter. But Washington completely fell on their face in that aspect against Cleveland, and Carson's performance was disgusting against the Cleveland Browns. And moving forward for him, again, I wish him the best of luck as a man, as an individual, and in his next endeavors. But as a football player in the burgundy and gold, I don't see it moving forward. Again, everything that I have heard out of the building is going to be Carson Wentz is going to be gone. I don't think that's going to be news to anyone. So with that, Sam Howell. I'm extremely intrigued with Sam Howell. What he showed in his small sample size of work against Dallas, what he showed in the preseason way back in August, excites me. How he prepared as a professional, how he's improved over the last few years. I talk about it all the time. You go back to North Carolina and that 2020 COVID season, and he had two NFL backs and Michael Carter and Javante Williams. You go to the outside, and he's got his old friend Deami Brown on the outside alongside Daz Newsom that went to Chicago. 
In 2021, he did not have that. Had a blowout average offensive line. Not really big-time playmakers on the outside. Now, Josh Downs is a decent talent. He'll go on day two this year in the draft. But the overall offense was not there. Sam Howell improved by running the football, using his legs, winning with his, again, in between the ears before ever trying to win with his arm and his legs. He had to be perfect at times. He had to carry the Tar Heel offense at times to wins. You turn on that Pittsburgh tape against Kenny Pickett in college in 2021 when they're up at Heinz Field in the rain. And it's muddy and sloshy and cold and windy. Disgusting weather. And Sam Howell carries the Tar Heels in that football game to stay competitive in that ball game. That's the Sam Howell that I saw this year progressing as a pro in his first year, working behind two veterans in Heineke and Carson Wentz. And now moving into this year, when you have your core athletes that you do on offense with a talent like Sam that can rip every throw in the book and has the dual threat ability to keep every single level of the defense honest as a young kid, as a fifth round pick, where you have a ton of value from a contract perspective, that intrigues me. And as someone that wants to prove himself as a young quarterback in this league. So moving on from the quarterbacks, because I, I am excited about Sam Howell moving into 2023, is the running backs. Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, Jonathan Williams, Jarrett Patterson. Those are the guys that all got work this year. Now, Jonathan Williams and Jarrett are both free agents. I rem- it remains to be seen what Washington wants to do with Antonio Gibson because as you move forward into the back end of that season, he was uninvolved. Remember, he lost the starting job to Brian Robinson in the summer. Brian obviously went through what he went through. Brian came back and stole the spot for him right away. Now, Antonio still put up decent numbers, played in 15 games, 545 yards, three touchdowns, fumbled once. Remember, that was a huge thing coming this year. He has to take care of the football. And then in the receiving game, he was the fourth leading receiver on on this offense. 46 catches on 58 targets, 353 yards, two touchdowns, about 24 yards a game through the air. Now, would like to see more as a three-down weapon? Of course, That's what he was drafted out of Memphis to be. We saw him return kicks this year. And what that tells me, if I'm Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew looking at this roster, my RB1 is now returning kicks is what you thought moving into the year. You're just trying to get him on the football field. And then you saw the ability that Jonathan Williams had come into the back end of the season where he at times looked to steal carries from Brian Robinson, especially in those third and one, third and two situations. So... I'm extremely intrigued with what the potential outlook is for Antonio Gibson within this offense because he's a free agent next year. So one more year on his contract, but you saw the success that Brian Robinson had on the ground this year. He's healthy for a full 17 games. He easily eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark. But in total, 12 games played, 205 attempts on the ground, 797 yards, about four yards a pop, had two touchdowns and about 66 yards a game, fumbled twice, but he was absolutely outstanding. And what he came back from was truly unbelievable. And it was Herculean, really. 797 yards behind a below average offensive line in an offensive line as we move forward to the back of the year where they were pulling guys off the street to play. The Nick Martins of the world, he saw Chris Paul start against Dallas. Now, I thought the rookie did a decent job, but we'll get into that when we get into the offensive line. But this running back group starts and stops with Brian Robinson. And I don't know the workload for Antonio moving into 2023 because 
we want JD to be healthy. He was ineffective the entire year. Played eight games, 22 attempts on the ground, 95 yards. In the passing game, caught 27 balls, 173 yards. Didn't get in the end zone. We really didn't see much from JD this year before he went on IR and ended the season. Eight games, right? It's not even half the season. You could say 17 games is, you know, isn't a weird odd number, but eight games, we were extremely excited back in the spring when he decided to pull the old okie doke on the Buffalo Bills, where he initially reported was to be signed to and go to Buffalo with that Josh Allen led offense, who's now looking for vacation plans as well. And he came back to Washington. And we thought about this three-headed backfield. But really, it turned into a one-man backfield with just Brian Robinson Jr. And now moving into 2023, it's Brian Robinson's... This is Brian Robinson's job. 100,000%. We've heard Martin Mayhew this offseason talk about how they want a two-to-one pass... Run-to-pass ratio, excuse me. Okay, I understand you have to run the ball successfully. I mean, you look at every team that's left in the playoffs... Every team has a good offensive line, and they run the ball well. That's what they do. They, they kind of hang their hat on the run game, and they also but they also have to throw it a little bit. If you run well, you're going to have to pass well at some point. You pass well, you're going to have to run the ball at some point. But it's about being balanced. All the teams left, these final four teams, the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Eagles, and the Niners, all balanced football teams. Starts a quarterback, sure, but you have to be balanced. And that starts with a good front five and a good running game. And I'm excited about the potential of Brian Robinson continuing to grow and grow and grow and get back to 100% health because I don't think he was at full strength this year. I really don't. Again, we saw him in 12 games, but I don't think he was 100%. Maybe he would have been, maybe he was 80, 85%. But a full 100% Brian Robinson? I watched him a ton in Alabama. And how he ran at times Alabama, I didn't see that a ton this year for Washington. He has a lot more juice outside the tackles than what people give him credit for. We obviously know he can run in between those one, two, three, four holes inside the tackles and run over somebody. He's someone that I I just, you want to hang your hat on a guy in the running backs room? Brian Robinson is that guy at 6'2", 220 plus pounds. And when you get into winter football, NFC East division games... Now, do I wish that that Dallas game in week 18 had some, we had something to play for? We all do. But it's 20 degrees outside and Brian Robinson's running down the tracks 25 times a game. I talk about it all the time. Defenders don't want to tackle that guy. They don't. And it takes two or three guys to take him down every single play. So you improve that front five. You continue to evolve your offense with whoever comes in as an offensive coordinator. The team is interviewing Eric Studsville today, who is with the Dolphins for the last few years. We will see how this offense progresses, whether how run-heavy they want to be, how unique they want to be in the RPO game using Sam Howell's legs. And of course, you're going to involve the guys I'm going to get into next, which are Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Deami Brown, and Curtis Samuel. A wide receiver's core that is one of the best in football. Young guys. Jahan Dotson, round one pick in 2022. Deami Brown's a day two pick in 2021. Curtis Samuel, still a decently young guy. Terry McLaurin, we know what we get from Terry McLaurin. He's a top 10 receiver in football. But my point with these guys is you do not expend the assets on these players, on that four, those four guys, where you spend high assets on each. You just pay Terry. You just drafted Jahan on day one, right? You just paid Curtis Samuel handsomely last year. 
and you drafted Diami on day two, not to look cute in uniform, but to produce, to pepper them with targets. So when I hear Martin Mayhew say, I want a two to one run to pass ratio, the weapons on the outside, it doesn't align. This is 2023. You have to have success throwing the football through the air. And if you have a kid like Sam Howell under center, he's going to be able to do that for you. Again, that Dallas game wasn't a crazy needle-moving game as far as from performance expectations. He completed 11 passes. But what he does do well is take what's given. And if you get a guy in the building that's able to accentuate all of the skill sets that you do have on the outside with your pass catchers and the different types of skill sets that you have, similar body frames but different types of receivers, then you start to cook with gas a little bit because you can throw it 30 plus times if you have to and you can run it 30 plus times if you have to because of the talent that you have on offense. But with the receivers group, Terry McLaurin led the team obviously 120 targets, 77 catches, uh, nearly 1,200 yards, 1,191 yards to be exact, five touchdowns. Curtis Samuel, second on the team, 64 catches, 656 yards. Jahan Dotson had an excellent rookie season coming out of Penn State. 35 catches on 61 targets, 523 yards, and seven touchdowns, about 44 yards a game for him. We only saw him in 12 games. I want to see a full 17-game slate for Jahan Dotson moving into next year because what we've talked about for the last few years was how Washington is going to take the attention off of Terry McLaurin. And in last year, they fell on their face with Curtis Samuel and Jami Brown not being impactful. This year, we got good glimpses of what Curtis offers in this offense, and I love to see it. I did not like how he was getting five to seven carries every game. I understand he's a chess piece, but he doesn't have the bulk and the body armor to withstand that physical nature of playing within the first and second level consistently in the NFL game and being that almost fourth running back at times. But using him in the slot, flexing him on the outside, moving Terry around, moving Jahan around, you have a lot of weapons and a lot of different unique things that you can do from an architecture perspective for this offense. You have your core. Terry and Jahan are a one and a one A from a receiver's perspective in this league. Not many teams have a top two receiver group like Washington has, which tells me you need to pepper these guys with targets or they're going to go elsewhere. That was that was scary last year offseason, right? We didn't know if Terry McLaurin was going to be back. But him being back now, obviously now a year into his brand new sparkling contract, you're going to have to feed these talents or you're going to get into a situation like Cincinnati has this year where you got Jamar Chase and you got T. Higgins and you got Tyler Boyd and they're kind of running the situation of, are we going to be able to pay all these guys? You just paid Curtis two years ago. You just paid Terry. Jahan in the next few years, if he's going to become what he's going to become, which is an elite receiver in this league, guy got in the end zone seven times. He almost got in the end zone every single game he played. Seven touchdowns in 12 games. That's pretty good. More than half of his games, he was in the end zone. So if you extrapolate that, the guy plays 17 games. He probably gets 10, 11 touchdowns potentially this year. He was absolutely fantastic. And what basically, and what made so impressive for me is he is not 6'3". He is not 6'4", over 200 pounds. He's 185, soaking wet. 5'11", 6 foot if you want to give him that extra inch. 
but he's someone within the shallow areas of the offense. We always talk about in the red zone, right? 6'4", six, 6'5", six, those are your big targets that you want to throw the old Jay Gruden fade ball to, to Josh Dotson in the back of the end zone or Logan Thomas. You watch him create in the slot against Jacksonville or against Dallas. He's able to separate within the first five yards of line of scrimmage like anybody can in this league. He is an extremely refined and detail-oriented fluid route runner that is allows him to separate. He showed that a ton at Penn State. Route running translates. And he was fantastic both in between the 20s and inside the red area when you need someone to separate when the back end of that end zone starts to creep up on you and your space gets deteriorated. You shrink the offense. You're playing within a phone booth instead of playing in a wide open field. So Jahan Dotson, I can't say enough about his first year. I can go on and on and on about Terry McLaurin, what he offers in this offense. I want him to be more involved in the first half of football games. There was too much this year of Terry McLaurin has one catch at halftime. Terry McLaurin has three targets at the end of the third quarter. That's not enough. If you're not able to get him the ball because you don't have enough time to sit back there for three seconds and go through two progressions and hit him on the outside, that's fine. Get him more involved in the quick game, timing routes, screens. If you have to hand him off on jet sweeps to throw different looks, get the ball in your athlete's hands. And that's what my main ask is for whoever comes in as the offensive coordinator as we move into 2023 is to get number 17, to get number one, and to get number 10, the ball in their hands, whether it is on quick game or whether you are asking Sam Howell to make these three, four reads through a progression across the field as a second-year quarterback and target these guys, not only is this seven yards down the field on a quick comeback route, you're asking him to throw a nine route, you're asking him to throw a slugger route to the outside, outside the boundary along the sideline, Sam Howell can make those throws. You got guys that can run the routes, now it's about meshing those together and raising the performance ceiling of this offense. Moving into the tight ends room, Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner, and Armani Rogers. I wanted more from this group. I thought it was extremely disappointing of a group. We saw last year John Bates progress. We knew what he was out of Boise State. An elite, excuse me, let me correct myself, not an elite blocking tight end, but someone at Boise State that came out as one of the top blocking tight ends in the class. Now, we knew what he offered from a performance ceiling as an athlete in space. Very limited, right? Then you draft Cole Turner. So back-to-back years, you draft tight ends on day three. Cole Turner out of Nevada, guy at the Senior Bowl last year. I talked a little bit about him as far as what I saw last week when I recapped the rookie class. If you missed that podcast, just head on over to our, our dashboard and Check that out from last week when I recapped every single pick of Washington's 2022 rookie class. But Cole Turner, now the concussions, that obviously throws a wrench into the process, right? You wanted to see a full 17 games out of him and what you actually have at the tight end spot. But we look around the league. I'm not asking Washington to have a Mark Andrews, a George Kittle, a Kyle Pitts. I'm not asking for that. But you need to have someone at the position that can not only align as the Y or the F, and what I mean by that is the Y tight end is the player that aligns next to the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle. So he's attached to line of scrimmage. And then your F tight end is someone that can be flexed out, whether he's in the slot or outside to the field or to the boundary. 
someone that is unique in their alignment, and you have a guy that can do both, it expands the offensive playbook. And neither of those three guys, and I'll get into Armani Rodgers in a second, I'm intrigued about as well, but Logan Thomas, John Bates, and Cole Turner didn't offer that this year. At times, over the last few seasons, we've seen the potential of Logan Thomas at where points that he looks like a top 10 to 12 tight end in this league easily, right? That's his floor as a big six foot seven target with movement skills. But the last few years, especially this year, just did not look athletic at all. And his lower half looked stiff, wasn't able to run routes, wasn't able to separate. Just when he had the ball in his hands, wasn't great. Now, Logan was behind Antonio as far as the fifth leading receiver or pass catcher on this team. Played in 14 games, 39 catches, 320 yards, and a touchdown. That's not going to cut it. Within an offense where you had guys like Taylor Heineke, well, Carson Wentz was learning a new offense. Taylor Heineke had the limitations with his arm. And with Sam Howell in week 18, that was obviously getting his feet wet the first time being thrown in the fire of the NFL football. You need guys over the middle of the field in that 5 to 10, 15-yard portion of the offense that are able to be not just a sure set of hands, but someone that can create yards after the catch and be that security blanket, if you will. Washington, I don't know if they have that right now. And are we going to go into the 2023 draft in the next few months and look at grabbing another tight end? I would not be surprised, folks. You need another weapon. If you want to run 12 personnel, so one running back, two tight ends, some 13 personnel, one running back, three tight ends, you need someone that can not only be a guy that can block, I'm not asking him to be an offensive tackle, but understand leverage, understand where the offense, a certain run play is going. If you need to stay in for pass pro, how to anchor, right? How to use your hands well in the blocking game, not just just sit there and, and be plowed through to let the offensive tackle not even use the chip well, right? But there are just so many things with this tight ends group that I wanted to see more of. And from an overall perspective, I mean, I wanted more out of the linebacking core this year. Tight ends right there alongside that. Armani Rogers, UDFA, came in as a quarterback convert from Ohio University. He was the most athletic tight end that Washington has in their roster right now. We talked about in the summer, the potential that Curtis Hodges had, UDFA out of Arizona State, big 6'8 kid. He's athletic as well. You need math changers on offense to be able to keep every single defensive player honest in what they're doing, whether they're blitzing or whether they're dropping back into coverage on passing downs. And when you have a guy that is a threat in the passing game at the tight end position to where it doesn't matter where he is aligned, I don't care if he lines up in the backfield, he has to be accounted for in the passing game. As we move forward to the middle of the season and the back end of the season, John Bates and Cole Turner were not thought of as far as guys are going to be threats in the passing game. So you're a linebacker, you're a safety that's being asked to shade over the tight end, your eyes are staying on the outside on Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson or potentially Antonio Gibson or Brian Robinson coming out of the backfield. Or you can even change your eyes and keep him on a Taylor Heineke for if he wants to boot out of the pocket. You're not really, your eyes aren't centered on mirroring the tight end if you're in man. That just wasn't the case with these tight ends that Washington had against the defenses that they faced. And as defenses are continuing to draft more and more athletes, especially at the second level, and safeties that can cover these tight ends with ease, 
You need someone that can make those guys work. And again, if you're going to have a young quarterback in the, inside the pocket moving into next year, you need guys that will provide a sure set of hands inside the hashes and inside the numbers within that 5 to 10 yard area of the offense. They can catch the ball, turn up field, and make something happen. I don't know if Washington has that in their tight ends room right now. Again, the potential of Logan Thomas, but he's been in the league a while. It's been rumored what I've heard out of Ashburn too is that he may be gone. They may cut him to save money. We will see, which does open up the pathway for Washington to take one of these tight ends on potentially late day two, day three. This is an extremely deep group of tight ends. You think of guys like Payne Durham out of Purdue, Will Mallory out of Miami, Davis Allen out of Clemson. I talked to a representative out of Clemson's football department last week that mentioned to me that Davis Allen's one of the most talented tight ends to ever come out of Clemson. I asked him, do you remember when Dwayne Allen was there? He said, yeah, he has more potential than Dwayne Allen. You guys don't remember Dwayne Allen. He was drafted in the third round and won the John Mackey Award as a top 10 in college football. He was drafted in the third round. Davis Allen's going to be at the Senior Bowl this week. Will Mallory's going to be down at the Senior Bowl this week. Payne Durham will be down at the Senior Bowl this week. Or a name like Luke Schoonmaker. A lot of these names from Michigan. He'll be at the Shrine Bowl out in Vegas this week. These are kind of that late day two, early day three bucket of tight ends. Now, some may go higher. We'll see. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about with this pre-draft process, with all these all-star events and the combine and pro days and the interview process, guys are going to rise, guys are going to fall. But if I'm Washington and I want someone that is is more athletic in this room that potentially has a higher ceiling than what I saw from Armani Rodgers, if they want, they don't want to give him the opportunity to be a tight end too next year, which I think he deserves the opportunity to, tight end is a need for this offense, considering what the offensive structure could look like next year with such a young quarterback in under center. I like the moxie that Sam Howell has. I like the performance ceiling that he has and his ability to pump every throw in the book. But at sometimes just taking what's given and feeding a guy that you could get six to eight targets each game, that's a guy that intrigues me. And there's a lot of tight ends in this class, a very deep tight end class, and not just with the headliners and Michael Mayer from Notre Dame and Darnell Washington from Georgia on day one, or the Dalton Kincaids from Utah, or the Luke Musgraves from Oregon State's of the world that are going to go early day two, or Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State. You move in, those guys are going to trickle into late day two and into day three, and there's going to be some potential there where obviously Washington has used two picks in the last two years, Bates in 21 and Turner in 2022, early to late on day three, to grab a talent that they think that could come in and compete in the tight ends room. But overall, I wanted more from this group because they are young and they do have potential, but the performance ceilings of especially Cole Turner and John Bates, I think are extremely limited. I like John and his ability to block. That's fine. But Cole, you obviously drafted him to come in and be in a, we- a weapon inside the red area from day one. And be a guy that can play above the rim against smaller corners and smaller safeties and smaller linebackers. He didn't offer that at all. So I'm extremely intrigued to see what all, what Washington does this offseason in the tight ends room. And of course, I will take you all the way up to the draft as far as what I'm hearing in Ashburn as far as that position 
who they're meeting with, who they got interest in, and a potential guy that could fit within this offense once we finalize who the offensive coordinator is going to be for the for the Burgundy goal moving into 2023. So from there, let's move to the big uglies up front where, folks, it wasn't pretty. I guess that's the best word to use describing this front five. It was a mix of bodies, right? Charles Leno at left tackle, Andrew Norwell mostly at left guard. We saw a rotation of Chase Roulier, Tyler Larson, Nick Martin, Wes Schweitzer at center. We saw Trey Turner, Sadiq Charles, Chris Paul. Right tackle, we saw Cornelius Lucas, Sam Cosme. The names go on and on and on. And moving into this offseason, this is a spot along the front five where Washington has to improve. There's just no way around it. They're getting old. Again, Charles Leno looked fine at times. Then he looked completely unplayable. You don't want to turn on that Giants film and that second game at FedEx against him against Kayvon Thibodeau. Not good. It just was a mishmash of bodies, which is what it's been for the last three or four years. Chase Roulier, I have questions as far as his durability under center. This is two straight years now where we've had the same story and the narrative with Chase Roulier as a top 10 center in football, but he's not been able to stay healthy and play on the field. The best ability, I always say it, folks, the best ability is what? It's availability. And as we move into 2023 with a young quarterback, again, young quarterback, you need a guy at center that can handle the protections. That's what week one, week two, Chase Roulier was handling protections up front. It wasn't Carson Wentz. He was allowing Carson to keep his eyes up towards the second level, towards the third level of that defense and seeing what they're doing pre-snap. We saw Carson play well. Then Chase Roulier goes out and this offense kind of stumbles over itself right when they started out. They had a rough month and a half start to the season. So, I mean, you saw the West Schweitzers of the world. He's a free agent. Trey Turner's a free agent. Both those guys have played guard this year. Schweitzer, again, has played some center. They got in. They, they, they have questions under center. Excuse me, on the front five. And you look at this class and you move into day two. Andrew Voorhees, guard from USC, should be an option. John Michael Schmitz, center from Minnesota, the top center in this class, in my opinion. Just a country-fed, strong dude within the interior and will play center from day one in the NFL. If you want to move on from Chase Roulier, potentially that's a guy. Again, John Michael Schmitz from, from Minnesota. Really good interior talent that Washington could be interested in depending on what the potential as far as Chase Roulier getting healthy and playing a full 17-game slate because we haven't seen it in a long time. A long, long time. And at tackle, you're not moving in next year with Charles Leno protecting Sam Howell's blindside. At least, I hope not. I I get it. He's been a good story. He's a veteran in this league. Spent a ton of years in Chicago before coming over. My focus right now is on that day two bucket. Darnell Wright from tackle from Tennessee. I've talked to you guys a ton about. Played left tackle, played right tackle for Tennessee. Experience in the SEC. Extreme athlete. Good feet. Just something to be said about just a flat out good football player. And that's what Darnell Wright is as offensive tackle for Tennessee. I will see him this week down at the Senior Bowl. Really excited to get a good good glimpse of him in one-on-ones against some elite edge talent in this class. Really kind of bring the microscope in on what his potential is. And if he will be there as the second round starts on day two once we get into Kansas City in the NFL draft here in April. But 
You move into 2023 and you're still rotating Cornelius Lucas and Sam Cosby at right tackle. Is Cosby going to slide to right guard? I don't know. Are they going to look to make a free agent addition at right tackle? Who knows? I thought Andrew Norwell at times was good. I don't think he was terrible by any means, but you got new bodies to your right at center almost every single week. And then right guard, it was a failed experiment with Trey Turner. Sadiq Charles will not be back in the Burgundy and Gold. That's another failed experiment. Chris Paul did fine against Dallas. Again, seventh rounder out of Tulsa. I don't know if that's the guy you want to move into as your starter within the interior moving into next year. I think he could be that swing guard for you, kind of that role that Wes Schweitzer has played the last few years in Washington. I think as a seventh rounder, that would provide a ton of value. You're not really drafting guys in the seventh round to come in and be a starter unless you get a steal or a diamond in the rough that you really like on your board. At that point in the draft, you're kind of throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks a little bit. But again, I thought Chris did well. I thought he prepared well. It showed me that he's working his tail off the first 17 weeks of the season, comes in week 18 against a decent Dallas front and plays well. And all you can do is tip your hat to the kid with the performance that he showed. But Washington needs improvement along the front five in in desperate measures. They do. Desperate times call for desperate measures. You're rolling out a second-year quarterback next year. You do The worst thing you want to do is put him behind a line that's not able to stop water, right? And you want to be able to keep him upright. You want to be able to keep him upright and allow him to scan the field, use his legs if possible, and be able to reach the performance ceiling. We talk about it all the time of this offense, which is lofty. But 18.9 points a game this year, folks, is not going to cut it. And it starts within the trenches. They allowed 48 sacks this fall. It was eighth worst in the NFL so you're going to have a young guy, you got to keep him upright. We saw what Cincinnati's tried to do the last few years, allowing a ton of sacks of Joe Burrow, just getting thrown around and getting shell-shocked. That's not what you want to have happen to Sam Howell, where he gets happy feet, right? He's skinned all around, looks like a chicken with his head cut off, and he's running around the pocket, chucking things downfield, trying to make things happen, playing hero ball, trying to force those into windows. You want him to be upright. I'm not asking him to be perfect. I'm not asking this offense to turn into the Philadelphia front five. But what I am asking them is to give the necessary assets to keep your young quarterback and build around him within the trenches because I know we get so caught up in the sexy running backs and the receivers and the tight ends of the league and the offenses that score 30-plus points a game. But it starts in the trenches you need to get Chase Roulet healthy. Figure out what you're doing with Sam Cosby on the right side of the line. I think Andrew Norwell will be back at left guard. They paid him a good amount of money. He should be back next year. But left tackle, center, right guard, and right tackle, all are spots that you could say you could upgrade from. And sure, you could say you want to upgrade from Andrew Norwell. Yeah, he wasn't perfect. But though all those spots could have upgrades. But if you do have Norwell at left guard and you do have Chase Roulet at center, and you want to play Sam Cosme at right guard. And say you add Darnell Wright to play right tackle. And you bring in a free agent at left tackle. Or you play Darnell at left tackle. And you bring a guy at right tackle. And you have Cornelius Lucas play there. Well, then maybe you got a decent front five. So I'm just kind of playing hypotheticals right now. But you have to figure out what you're doing with the big uglies up front. To not only stem the run game, right? You want to be a run heavy team? Well, you better have a damn good front five. And you're going to throw the ball, obviously. It's 2023. You got the weapons. You're going to throw it. You got a kid that can deliver. You're going to throw it. You got to have guys that can be able to sit and pass pro. All that stuff, again, like I talked about with the correlation 
of the receivers and their routes and their skill sets with the offensive coordinator and the quarterback, how all that correlates, having a front five, you don't have an offense if you don't have a front five, right? You saw that with the last play last night for Dallas. Let's just put Ezekiel Elliott under center and snap it back to Dak Prescott. Hey, that worked. Smart, right? Well, if you don't line with the front five, you don't have an offense. You don't. So Washington has to figure out what they're doing along the front five before they expand and you look at the corners room, you look at linebackers. So I'm extremely, ex- I'm, I am excited because you have some young talent in the building. I think Sam Cosby moving into year three, we expected some more from him at right tackle, kind of experimented with him at right guard and right tackle a little bit, see what they want to do with him there. Norwell did fine, get Chase Rouillet healthy and improve. You don't have to break the bank on anybody. John Matsko, I think, is a damn good offensive line coach. Let him develop these young players. You want to get some guys in the building. You want to draft two or three guys, bring in some UDFAs. Potentially, you have some talent that can develop as swing guys. We'll see. But they need to bring some guys in the building that are going to not only compete and try and give effort, right, in the run game and in pass pro, but produce and not allow pressures on Sam Howell in the passing game. And then be able to displace defenders. One text, three text, five text along the front five to allow Brian Robinson. You want to you run him 25 times a game? That's fine. Then you're going to expect a season where he eclipses the 1,000-yard threshold easily. Would have had that this year with a below-average offensive line. Imagine you get some guys in there that are improving, that's some better talent, better overall athletes to push the line of scrimmage and win within the trenches because that's where it starts. We've seen Washington build on the defensive side of the ball, Right? The interior and out, Deron Payne, John Allen in 2017, 2018. Then you get Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Now we move into 2023, six years later from when we drafted John Allen. And now we got to potentially look at adding within the core of your offensive line. That is where it starts. So that is going to do it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, please leave a like, review, share, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. If you don't, you follow me already on Twitter. You can shoot me a follow at underscore Ryan Fowler. Again, all my written work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. I will be down, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, I'll be down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. I head down there on Saturday, and I'll be there throughout the rest of next week. So I won't have a podcast out for you guys till two weeks from now when I return from Alabama. So hope you guys enjoy the next few weeks. Enjoy the conference championships this weekend, obviously, NFC, Niners at the Eagles, and then AFC, you got the Bengals and Joe Burrow at the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, which is going to be a hell of a ball game. So again, enjoy the next few weeks. Again, as I mentioned on Twitter, you can shoot me a follow, underscore Ryan Fowler. I'm going to have updates from Mobile all week long, talking to scouts, agents. We're going to have live video be on the field down in Mobile, giving you full up close of these guys, some guys that may be in the burgundy and gold, moving into the summer. Last year, Washington drafted five guys that were down at the Senior Bowl. Sam Howell, Brian Robinson, Chris Paul, Cole Turner, and Phil Mathis. Five picks last year that Washington used were all on guys that played at the Senior Bowl last year. So obviously this is an event where Martin Mayhew, Ron Rivera, and the scouting staff are going to be down there evaluating these ballplayers because there's going to be a heck amount of talent down there in Mobile. So again, I'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Always appreciate your time. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.